Welcome to Mondays with Millie, a podcast about the past with real relevance to the present day. I'm your host, Phil Cristofaro, and in this podcast series, I interview my 89-year-old mother-in-law, Doreen, who I affectionately call Millie, about her ordinary life and the extraordinary events which influenced it. Millie has witnessed firsthand some incredible things across 10 decades. This is a personal history which gives us some perspective about life's triumphs and challenges. Will we have rainbows day after day? Here's what my sweetheart said. Welcome to episode number four of season two. This episode is called I Smell a Rat. Not only does Millie face challenges that come with single parenthood, she endures the stigma of separation and divorce, something frowned upon within the Church of England. In the 1950s, divorces are published in a local paper, and Millie goes to great lengths to keep the details private. Life goes on, and in true Millie style, she carries on through a bout of pneumonia and yet more rats, this time of the animal kind. Please enjoy Season 2, Episode 4 of Mondays with Millie. What will be, will be. So half a step backwards there. How old was Paul when his dad left? Paul was three when his dad left. Right, so Paul was three. Was it sort of something that you didn't tell people about? My father said eventually, he said, what, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to divorce him. I'll wait two years and divorce him for desertion. And um, I, used to, I used to belong to the drama group at church and also I used to go and do pottery painting one afternoon a week. And, of course, the, the, the minister's wife was there and the bank manager's wife was there and all the rest of it, you know. And in those days, if you got divorced, it was in the paper. You might only get three lines, but they put in who who'd petitioned the divorce and they actually put the reason for getting a divorce. So I wanted it to be desertion and, of course, um, the solicitor said, no, no, you can't do that. That's against the law. No, he's, he's living with someone else. It has to be adultery. Well, that wasn't very nice, you know. So, and they put that in the paper, you see, and then they put custody of the child was given to the petitioner, blah, blah, blah. Well, of course, the following week when I went to do my pottery painting, these women were... They were awful. It was the last time I ever went because they'd never once asked me before then what my husband did or anything. But um, they wanted all, all, all the details, you know. So uh, I didn't go back to pottery painting after that. Why and a, and a more, a, another very upsetting thing happened. I used to go to church regularly. And after this came out that I was, I was divorced. I went to church this particular morning and went for communion. 
And the minister came along and uh, he, I put my hand out for the bread and he, he just went over me to the next person. And I thought, didn't think a lot about it, except he was an old man, you know, and I thought he got mixed up. But then when he came along with the wine as well and did the same thing, he was telling me he didn't think I ought to be taking communion because I was divorced. So I didn't go back there either. So, so, it's, so, so it's interesting the fault is with the woman then. You think it was it a chauvinistic thing? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's just that divorce was quite, look, well, it just wasn't. Certainly the Church of England did not look upon divorce as anything to be proud of, you know. But um, that was it. I'd, I'd made my mind up. Why two years? Uh, well, that was it. You could, you could get a divorce after two years uh, for desertion. If somebody just walked out and left you, you see. You, could, you had to wait two years, then you could get it for desertion. But uh, if if it turned out they were with somebody else, and you had to have a you had to have a private detective in those days to find these people if you didn't know where they were, and go and confront them and and make sure, as a witness, that they were living with someone else. It was really absolutely um, archaic, you know. That that so was that was probably a hundred year old law or something like that. It was yeah, probably, yeah. You know, it was. It just seems to be like you say. It, it was. It probably felt archaic even then. Yes. Mm. It, it and it of course it didn't occur to me that that would have that would have to happen. You see, I mean, I knew he was with somebody, but because his brother told me, but. Um, you know, I, I didn't think that should have been... I didn't want that to be mentioned. I just wanted it to be desertion. That was the end of it, you know. But it came out in the paper that it was adultery? Oh, yes, right. yes. They used to give the reason for the divorce. Mm. Um, so he never wrote to you with any explanation or anything like that? No. Well, what happened was my sister found out the following day that he left me because she'd gone to Blackpool to buy her husband a Christmas present. It was, he left me on December the 11th, his birthday. Do you think you really want to know all this, really? It's not oh, well, very interesting. It's, well, it's, it's, well you, don't have to, you don't have to go into that detail. It no, was well, more... no, it's, it's quite, actually quite funny, really. Um, she, she went off to Blackpool to buy this watch that she's put money on in the jewellers to save. It was for her husband for Christmas. And she, she stood there looking in the window. And there was a woman stood next to her. And she said, oh, hello, Dorothy. You know, conversation. And it was someone that used to work in the sweet factory. My sister was um, a clerk in the personnel office. And this woman worked in the sweet factory. And uh, she was... She was she was 13 years older than me. <laughs> I think this is what's upset me as much as anything. And, uh, and she was married and she got three children. She took two of them with her, apparently, when they left. And um, just then, this, this woman said to Dorothy, oh, this is my husband. 
and my husband came walking out of the door of the jeweler's shop and of course up to that morning he'd been living in the same house as Dorothy you can imagine the look on both the faces and he was supposed to be in York being interviewed for a better job so when my sister came home at tea time uh, she and her husband came in she dashed past me up the stairs and she was crying so I said to her husband Alan what have you been up to and he just shrugged his shoulders and I said well I'll make her a cup of tea you'd better take her a cup of tea up and apologize whatever it is you see <laughs> anyway she he brought her downstairs and insisted that she told me what had happened and I started to laugh I know it sounds crazy, but I did because I could just picture the look on both the faces. Uh, so I phoned his brother, who had a, a dancing school in the same road as this um, jeweler's shop. And I said, um, have you heard anything from Bob? And he went, well, actually, he's here now. And he said, he says he's left you. And uh, I said, he said, didn't you know? I said, not the faintest. So I said, why has he left me? He said, well, he's with this woman. And he says she's pregnant. Oh, gee. <laughs> boy, oh, boy. So that was that. Oh. And so... Yeah, so there was no going back, no going back at all. So you picked up the pieces how? Well, I, I just um, stayed at home until Paul was five. I used to grow tomatoes and look after the chickens and things. And then I got this job in Fleetwood at Mullard's, and it was a very good job, actually. And... Um, and that was that. I, I, I stayed there. I didn't go out anywhere for oh, about nine months, probably almost a year before I started going out. And my dad said, you used to like to go dancing. Why don't you go dancing on a Saturday? And I said, oh, I don't know. Friends I used to go dancing with, they were all married by then. Anyway, I did eventually go dancing on a Saturday and quite enjoyed myself. And you're still in your 20s. <laughs> Yes, yes, I was. Uh, I, let me see, I, I was married four years. I was 20, uh, 24, I'd be 25 when I, 26 when my divorce came through, yes. Was that a weight off your shoulders or was it just really didn't mean anything to you? Um, no, it didn't really. I wasn't involved with anybody at that time, so I was soon afterwards, mind you, but I wasn't up to then involved with anybody, so um, it didn't much matter, you know. It was just something that had to be sorted out and got rid of. Is living in Prezol at this time still quite idyllic? It sounds pretty idyllic. Was everything going well oh, it, in well, the house? Well, actually, 
Yes, actually, I did get a job at the weekends, eventually, working at the Black Bull, which was a pub in the village. And uh, I worked there weekends. As well and as the job that you were doing in Fleetwood? No, 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 no. It was it, before, before I started work properly. This was when I was at home most of the time. And um, it, this is the sort of place it was. Everybody knew everyone, of course. And I happened, I used to go to work on my sister-in-law's bicycle. And um, I, um, I went one Sunday lunchtime and I felt quite ill, really. In fact, it, it turned out I had pneumonia, but I didn't realise that at the time. And I, I must have looked pretty shocking because the local doctor came in. He was a wonderful man, really. And he came in and he took one look at me and he said, you shouldn't be here, you'd better go home, he said, and I'll come and see you later. So I set off home and I, don't, I didn't remember anything that happened after that because what, ha what actually happened was I collapsed. Two of the local boys that had a, an open flat back truck came along. They dumped the bicycle against the hedge and laid me in the back of the of the uh, truck and took me home. They knew where I lived, and and that was that. And I didn't remember very much for a few days, you know. And then it must have easily been a month later. My sister-in-law was looking for the for a bike, and uh, she said, "Oh." I'm going to cycle into, because they had a car by then, you see. They used to go to work in a car. And she said, I'm going to cycle into the village. Where's my bike? And I said, oh, I don't know. So, so my brother went up to the pub to see if my bike was there, you see. And they said, no, no, she didn't leave it here. And then two of the, two of the people that were in the, in the pub said, Oh, we know, there's a bike propped up at Cartgate. It's been there for a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> and it was still there. It was still there. Nobody touched it. <laughs> a different age, wasn't it? A different age, absolutely. Mm. Yes, but so when we first went, of course, they, they did cheat us because, you know, town is, we were ignorant. We bought some hens. We bought 200 hens. And none 200? Of 200, yes. Oh, yeah, it was a huge barn we had in that. And none of the hens laid. And uh, we found out afterwards that they'd, they were all off lay. And the guy that sold them to us knew this, you see. But we were so ignorant, we hadn't a clue about it. So eventually we, we had to kill them at Christmas and get rid of them. Uh, but my brother, my father, and my brother-in-law, they all sort of, well, no, I, I can't kill them. I can't kill them, you know. So we finished up having to have some pay somebody to kill them, then somebody else to pluck them. And by the time we'd finished and the, the food we'd spent on them, it had cost us money to keep them. Oh, that was our first foray into country living, <laughs> and you got stitched up. We did. So after that, 
we bought day old chicks and reared our own. <laughs> so this was quite an industry, a sort of a, an income for you in the household. Yeah, well, yes. Uh, we used to sell all the eggs and all the tomatoes at weekends, you know, because it was on the main road running through to Lancaster. So people, and we just put a sign outside, eggs and tomatoes for sale. And yes, they'd all go on a Sunday afternoon. Wow. So was it quite, I wouldn't say lucrative, but it was obviously probably a bit of spending money, was it? Uh, well, no, it wasn't spending money for me. It was it was sort of a shared thing, really, you know. But, um, um, yeah, we, we, we just used to buy things with the money. I did get in trouble one weekend because I forgot to put eggs on one side for ourselves. <laughs> Just got enthusiastic and sold them all, and then I was in trouble. No eggs for breakfast on Monday morning. <laughs> How did you prevent foxes from getting the hens? Did you have to build a whole structure around the barn, or were they locked inside the barn? At night they were, yes, mm. yes. Um, and during the day they, they were free range? Yes, and they, they just used to come in at night. Um we did have a very upsetting time once because we, I got up one morning and opened the door to let the, by this time my father and brother-in-law and brother had already gone to work and I opened the back door to let my sister's dog out and quickly closed it and the back, the back yard was full of rats. It was terrible. They were all over the place, and I'd never even seen a rat before then. Um, and they were, we'd had bags of um, pellets, food pellets delivered for the hens. And the man had left these bags outside and propped up two bags full, propped up against the, against the barn. And these rats had come, I didn't know where, well, I didn't know what to do. So I, I tell you, we were next door to a farm, you see. We lived next door to a farm. So I, I phoned them and I, I, I said, I was panic-stricken, you know. Um, there's, there's hundreds of rats here. I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of rats. And they said, oh, yeah, it's all right. If you've anything, that, uh, anything there for them to eat, they'll eat it. Then they'll move on. And apparently they'd, they'd come from their barn, big barns. They had two big barns next door. They'd come from theirs and they'd got down right, whatever it was, straw, something they were keeping there. And apparently this was something that used to happen annually. But having said that, we never saw it again and we were there for five years. So we were trapped in the house all day. And by the time the men came home at tea time, there wasn't a single pellet left and and there wasn't a single rat to be seen. They just moved on. It was it was absolutely incredible. So you couldn't leave the house. Right. No, we couldn't leave the house. I couldn't let the dog out. Literally hundreds of them. So like a plague. Hundreds of them. Mm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then they all moved off. I don't know where they moved to. They moved to somewhere else. But it, it was it was terrible. I was all for moving then, but we, we stayed there five years. And as I say, it never happened again. So 
I don't know what that's all about. When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? Will I be and that brings us to the end of episode four, season two of Mondays with Millie. In episode five, Millie's finally in a position to buy a place of her own and Harry convinces her to buy a brand new house next door to her sister Dorothy. Millie's son Paul and his cousin Michael meet a gremlin and a fairy and the village helps out by keeping an eye out for both of them. We look forward to your company again next week on Mondays with Millie. I asked my sweetheart what lies ahead Will we have rainbows day after day Here's what my sweetheart said Quesada, sada Whatever will be, will be The future's not ours to see Quesada, sada Mondays with Millie is an e-learn production Editing and dodgy guitar work by yours truly, Phil Cristofaro Vocal work by Millie's granddaughter, Neve. Tell them tenderly Quesada, sada Whatever will be, will be The future's not ours to see Quesada, sada What will be, will be Quesada, sada